Welcome to The Perfect Blend, the podcast where we pair the books we read with a delicious cup of tea. I'm Shelley Haskell. And I'm Candy Beaker. Hello out there. I'm Candy. And I'm Shelly. And we're the perfect blend. We are. And today we're here gonna we're gonna be talking about the ninth house by Leah Bardugo. This is her first adult novel. Oh. She mostly writes YA and she's best known for her Risha series about Shadow and Bone. And there's I think there's three. I haven't read any of them. I do watch the Netflix show. And I'm really hoping to put their other books on my summer reads, if there's more room and time. She is an American author who actually went to Yale, and this story is set at Yale University. So that's uh, pretty interesting. And you said that she had this book in her mind for a long time. We just let it stew yeah. and did the Shadow and Bone series and things, and then she came back to this one mm-hmm. because she was inspired by the Secret Societies, which was very interesting. And this was in an interview that I listened to. She had an experience where she was walking around in Yale and she kind of got lost on one of the streets and she looked up and there was the tomb for the house, Skull and Bones house. And she was, and then on that, that area has some of the landed societies that she talks about in there. So she was very much inspired by that. And... She even ended up being in one of those societies. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So what tea did you pair with our book? I used the tea that I had specially made from a company called Coyote, C-Y-O-T-E-A, and called Midnight Library because that's the name I gave the tea because you go on there, they have their own blends, but they also have a blending recipe kind of thing. And you pick your base and you pick some different seasonings that you like. And then you name your tea and they send you the blend. So I have Midnight in the Library, which is a rooibos with cardamom, you know it, and ginger and orange. I love the bag because on the back has a map of the world and it shows you where all of your individual ingredients are sourced from different places in the world. So that's really beautiful. It is. And, I, and when I saw the head, it looked like a, a wolf's head. But it's coyote tea. It's a coyote. But today we can pretend it's Wolf's Head. That's right. Because that's one of the secret societies of Yale. I went through with Plum Deluxe because I am still going through that box of teas. I I love them. Crystal Clarity Oolong. So it's an oolong with lemon peel, basil leaf, and calendula, which I am not successfully growing in my garden. And I'm kind of chuffed about that. No, chuffed is good as happy. I'm chafed about it. (laughs) Get the right vowel. Okay. (laughs) We both want to thank you for giving us a listen. We would love it if you would leave comments or book suggestions and leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify if you enjoy your time with us. Yes, that would be wonderful. Because we would like to hear what what books you want to hear about and what teas we pair them with. This story is about an unlikely Yale University student, Galaxy Alex Stern, who's a member of the Leith House, otherwise known as the Ninth House at Yale. It's an organization that monitors the arcane activities of the other eight ancient secret societies on campus, all of which are dedicated to one branch of the occult. In this first installment of the series, she's investigating the death of a local girl that occurred on campus. I found this book to be really interesting. I liked the storyline. I liked Alex as a character a lot. I did too. I thought that she had a lot of a variety of experiences and I do I did find it interesting that this sort of a misfit even amongst some of the misfits. Misfits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
in LA. She had a difficult life from a single mom and she was raised by a mother who was kind of mystical and spiritual and that was, yeah, in that way. She's kind of like that, but she could see ghosts. Yes, she could. And nobody else. She was always that outcast because the ghosts would approach her and eventually one came in contact with her and assaulted her mm-hmm. and it caused her to well, it, it caused her to choose her path. She was separated from regular people, so to speak. Even her best friend turned against her. Yeah, the story that she was like 14 or she was younger. 12, something, middle school. Yeah. She was middle school. Middle school. And she told her friend the story, but no friend would believe her. They made fun of and they spread it around and, and they thought she was crazy. Yep. And middle school kids are just mean. Any- well, I, you know what? It's not even middle school anymore. Everybody's middle school nowadays. Everybody's mean. <laughs> Just not you and not not everybody, but, you know, a lot of people. people in it's the a world. Jerry Springer society. What can I say? That's right. So she is introduced to some people who introduce her to drugs. And the drugs keep the what they call the grays away, the ghosts. The ghosts, she doesn't see them. She can't have, she doesn't have any contact with them, with the drugs. And that's what she thinks saves her. So she is in this. She's in a, in a, a downward spiral. Yeah, she's in a, a society where she's just in the drug society and they don't care what age you are. They don't, it's, she served a purpose for her boyfriend slash dealer and she was able, but she was able to hang out with different people and she became incredibly street smart and she also knew that she was selective about what she did take. Yes. She, she kept away from some hard stuff which is she to her. Yeah, she didn't want to be an addict mm-hmm. and everything that goes along with yeah, that. She, seen a lot she of just that. wanted to keep the ghosts at bay mm-hmm. because they knew they could contact her and potentially cause her harm. And she just, she couldn't do it. It just, it was making her crazy. And then this big incident occurs, a homicide, and she's the only one that survives it. And she's tapped by the Dean of Yale to, it gets a full ride scholarship so that she she can become part of Leith House. Can we just take a moment here? Because this is really crazy, right? Yeah. So this is where you start suspending your disbelief and just jumping into the fiction of it. But what you need to realize is that the Leith were always kind of listening out there, monitoring for any kinds of uh, people who had uh, paranormal experiences. Mm-hmm. And so that original experience brought her to maybe uh, social services in her life sometimes. And I, I don't can't remember how this part worked out, but they were already paying attention to her. Right. Before this particular incident happened. She was in their peripherals. Yes, right. And so a high school dropout is not going to get... Yeah, a to yell. A full, a full ride <laughs> to, to yell. yell. Even if she does see ghosts. Right. But she has to she has to learn what it is she's going to do and as she's the we would, I guess an apprentice but she's called the Dante the Dante everybody has a, a name of a class, classic or well, Dante's descent into hell but Vir, and Virgil, Virgil is the senior Yale student who will train the Dante in the tasks of what they are supposed to do and basically they're making sure that the houses are not overusing their power and their magic yep 
they they're all using their magic for a variety of things but particularly we find out that and this kind of is the skull and bones mythos too in and of itself so in real life each of these houses these societies do have their own mythos about what they're doing and then mm-hmm. you get all these kinds of straight yeah yeah these secrets and what what do they really do and how come they have all the money or whatever you know right. and all the power and people of wealth and power do come from these societies these houses well if you look and see the people that came from the different houses they've gone on to bigger and better things yeah but But it's kind of like wadsworth can you keep a secret (laughs) so can i (laughs) that's right that's right so we're learning these secrets and so she is going to all the different houses with uh darlington daniel arlington her virgil and he is training her in what they do and basically they're keeping out ghosts what they call grays keeping them out from interfering when each house is working their magic whatever ritual they do and so she has to learn how to keep them out and she's really kind of her virgil resents her darlington resents her because she can see ghosts and she doesn't see them as gray she sees them in color the technicolor and he knows he's been searching all his life for something some glimmer of magic something because he knows it's out there and he just knows if he does the research he's gonna find that window door portal something to show it to him so he really resents this nobody who has been chosen as his dante so they both once you learn about um daniel's background you realize that they have a very similar Mm -hmm. upbringing even though he might have had more money but really his wealth wasn't tied up in lucrative wealth it was more old money that's really tied up in an old house right and his parents were totally leeches leeches and his grandfather brought him under his wing and raised him but there wasn't a lot of money and then there was a lot of time where he was he was on his own Mm -hmm. and he was left just to fend for himself and not much guy and same with her she had to fend for herself had not much guidance had to figure it out as she went along Mm -hmm. just had that survivalist instinct that I'm going to make it come hell or high water she was the I'm going to do what I got to do I'm going to get my hands dirty Mm -hmm. and he came from privilege and anybody from the outside would think he is from privileged but they don't realize the facade that he kept up so he could stay in that house yeah and do what he needed to do because he really was struggling yeah i mean even in high school he was working like three jobs mm-hmm. and trying to keep the power on and keep yeah, some food yeah once they kind of the guard comes down as things start happening mm-hmm. they get a little bit better perspective so they're going to all these events and they're learning all these things and then at halloween they go to manuscript manuscript and manuscript is all about glamour and they are you know actors and actresses and folks like that are usually from manuscript and they have glamour on things so anything you eat anything you touch anything you ingest is going to put some glamour on you and they play a practical joke on darlington and they give him what's called merity which makes you compelled to do whatever somebody says and he embarrasses himself and alex gets him out of there and yeah saves him. it was a 
for them, they thought it was a very kind of benign kind of thing yeah. because they all were so used to using all kinds of drugs for whatever they wanted right. to heighten all their experiences. I mean, it's totally a college town kind of scene of a party scene. But he refrained from any kind of thing like that. He was often, he was called the gentleman of Leith. He, mm-hmm. he really refrained. So it was very upsetting for him to be out of control. It was very upsetting for him to get into a debased Yes, situation in front of yes. these people because they're supposed to be the ones that are monitoring their actions, the house's actions, yeah. and keeping everybody straight. And so he goes back later. They go to St. Elmo's and he notices a portal. And so he is looking at this portal, and the next thing you know, he disappears. <laughs> and we're do, we're telling this just so you know. When we read this little aside here, I'm going to do like she does. I'm yeah. going to go back a little bit. I'm going to step outside the story. When you read this, it starts off, an incident has happened, and then the up until page in the 300s, what page did I say? It took off 391. For me, on page 391 in my book, then the story was like, okay, let's go. We're rolling. But up until then, it's, it's fall, winter, early spring. It goes back and forth between these seasons, and there is a lot that goes on in this book. So I was a bit frustrated and I slogged through. So if you listen to us tell it in sequential order and then skip to page three. If you figure out what's going on, you're going to go with it. I will just warn you that you are going to be flipping back and forth between fall, early spring, winter, fall, early spring, winter, winter, spring, fall, early. You just go back and forth and back and forth. And there are so many things that happen. It is a really good story. It is a very good story. And once we got into it, like you said, at that one point where I think all of those were to keep us guessing about what really happened with the missing person and the other homicide. I think we were really meant to be kept off kilter about trying to connect dots. And that's fine as a writing and editing style. I just had to keep kind of making sure I knew what group of friends were with her at what time. And that's what kind of kept me because I don't always look at whether it was a winter or a fall. I'm listening listening to it. it. Even though I had the book, I'm listening to it and I still look at the book. And I had to go back and look at the chapters a lot to see what time frame we were in. It was not a straightforward storytelling. No, not like we're telling it. This is just our thoughts on it. And you had said about editing. Because we've I had wonder. a few stories like this yeah. where it flips back and forth and back and forth. And is it editors making authors do this because it's a, a trendy thing? Because this story would have been great if it had just progressed from fall to spring. I think it would have had a better flow to it and this is just me as a reader saying this had she just given us that glimpse and then gone from fall to winter i mean to early spring and just given us some flashbacks of before she got to yale in there to fill in to me it would have just sailed right along and then i wouldn't have had to wait till page 391 to go Yes, I am into the book now. It is just motoring because from 391 on, you pick up and you know everything that happened in 
fall, winter, early spring, fall, winter, winter, early spring, fall, you, you know everything and then you're moving on and it's like, oh my God, all the pieces, mm-hmm. finally. I think, well, I don't know what editors do and I don't know the difference between how somebody does their writing process, Right. but I do know that obviously stories don't come out. Oh, I guess everybody's different, but I assume, I'm not a writer, I assume they don't come out sequentially. I assume parts and pieces come up and you write those down and you weave them together as you go along and build in between. So I know that when you get done, it's everybody has their process. But I do know that this process of jumping through time sections, I mean, we've had it, the London Seance Society was kind of like that. and But the time periods were still very close. So Last Garden in England was one that flipped through three different time periods. And when we did our podcast on it, we just talked about each one sequentially. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it would have flowed well had we gone kind of from one story to another. Yeah, that was more so because Mm -hmm. that was hard. And when you're adding three different time frames and you're putting so much information, I mean, there's there's Latin in here. There are all these things to look up on the side so that you understand what's going on. And I don't mind doing that. I love that. I've got a whole bunch of new words I'll probably never ever use again in my life but I learned some things and I love that but it's just kind of okay but where am I in the book who is this which house are they from Mm -hmm. that and it could be me as a reader fine I will take that that's how you feel about it and that's how the author feels about it that is lovely I'm impressed that you wrote such an amazing book and that is just my little pee on a (laughs) pee Back to the story. Okay. So after he disappears, there is a murder on campus, and it is a town girl. And so it's not part of, everybody tells her it's not part of Lee. That's right. Thank God it's not part of It's just a town girl, which means she doesn't mean anything. It's not important. Alex is really offended by that. She sees the duality, the mm-hmm. the double standard. And and this book really hits on some double standards yeah, all through does. the whole thing. And it talks about quite a bit of the Me Too topics. So it's there's some really heart-wrenching scenes in here, by the way. Yes, yeah. there are. There's some really rough stuff. Alex is a girl that has seen all of it. Like, she's seen the rough side of L.A. She's thought she was coming to this, you know, world of safety and yes. learned and knowledge and fairy. She was very looking for a very cultured, civilized she was setting. looking for some peace. Yeah, and she found, found it's not. It's, there's terrible people everywhere. <laughs> yeah, they just, they really threw her to the wolves. Mm-hmm. And she thinks that there's more to it than that. And then a Gluma attacks her, which is a ghost, a violent ghost that is sent for a specific purpose Mm -hmm. to actually assault somebody. And she's attacked by the Gluma and their Oculus, Mm -hmm. Pammy Dawes, Mm -hmm. the Oculus is the person who does all the taking care of them and making sure everybody's Mm -hmm. okay. And she, so she heals her and the Dean comes to talk to them about it. And he kind of insinuates that Alex brought this on herself because she can see Gray's and because she's doing too much. Too much work. And even Dawes gets on him for that, saying, Mm -hmm. well, you're blaming the girl for the assault. That's like saying she wore her skirt too short. Yes, And so I'm starting to wonder about him at this point in the story. He does come across at one point, I thought of him as a pretty strong leader for that group Mm because he was also in lead. Like the benevolent leader. Yes, but then that really set him apart, just your regular old dude 
white guy who, who doesn't want to deal with something that he doesn't want to deal with. And so right. he blames a victim. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. because, you know, we're Yale mm-hmm. and we're above that kind mm-hmm. of thing. We're above that kind of thing. We don't deal with that kind of stuff. And Tara's a townie and mm-hmm. she's not a very, you know, as stuff comes out, you find out that she's not the best people, the mm-hmm. best sort. And Alex, she's using what she has learned, the little bit she has learned, to try to figure out how to keep the Gluma from attacking her. And she ends up talking to a gray. There is one they call the bridegroom who shot his fiance, shot himself, and she makes a pact with him. If he will help her on that side find Tara and fi- see if she's there and find out what happened to her, she will help him find out what happened to him because he doesn't think he killed his fiance. Right. And he's been blame for it all this time. Yeah, a hundred years. <laughs> and then she finds out that Darlington was looking into that as well. So yes. she knows she's on to something. Yeah, there's little bits and pieces that show her that there is more connecting yes. things, these all of these incidences than just she can see ghosts. It's more than that. They mm-hmm. all are very much connected in magic and power and events and that she- have changed the way the school really is. Right. Mm-hmm. Then Sando is going to do a ritual to try to bring Darlington back from wherever he is and it's a hound dog calling. (laughs) So they try to call him back. They're ringing bells so he'll hear them and come home and all the greys rush in and Darlington's grandfather comes in his robe with this Chesterfield cigarette hanging (laughs) off his lip but it's the wrong one and so they have to close it down. I really thought it was weird that Sandow did a charm to keep Darlington from ever stepping foot on Black Elm again. Mm -hmm. To me, that was so extreme and it just didn't seem... That was a thing for me that I was like, what is up? We want this guy back. I really thought that he was like their star child in a way that he knew how to keep things in order. And so I really was put off by that too. And I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. Because that... Sums of this. Everything he's doing, all the work that he did to keep that house and Mm -hmm. he loves that house Mm -hmm. and now he can never come back. Mm -hmm. And it was like, why would you do that? Because you had the old Darlington come, you didn't have any indication that he shouldn't come back to that house. Mm-hmm. So that was another little thing niggling my brain about him. That was unsuccessful and they pretty much just think he's lost and they'll never see him again. And then, oh, I know I forgot to mention something. <laughs> So Alex has roommate. She does live in the dorm. That is a sense of normalcy for her. She has Mercy and Lauren who really have taken her and accept her. Yeah, they do. And she was supposed to go to an event with Mercy and she forgot because she was doing investigating for Tara's murder. Mercy is compromised by this asshole Blake. He is one of those privileged never have to work a day in my life. I've always gotten away with every Everything. I probably pulled the wings off of flies and hung, you know, put yeah. firecrackers on cat sails and did pr- pretty much anything I wanted yeah. for my own amusement. So he has gotten hold of Merity and he gives it to girls and he videos them, compelling them basically to be a slave and be happy to do whatever they ask. So yes. he's, and, and he does it to Mercy. And Alex is devastated that she let Mercy down. And then Alex says, yes. I, I got this. Don't <laughs> she said, I got this. this. I love Alex. Can do this. Alex is just can, a badass. And then we don't see anything until the cafeteria scene. 
where the, everything comes up on the phones, everybody. Right. Well, video. you know, Alex does go and she takes care of him mm-hmm. and she takes care of the situation. But later on, he comes back mm-hmm. and he has the compulsion spell and Dawes accidentally lets him in. She realizes that anybody who wants to come into this house, the house will let them in. And she knows it's not a good thing that somebody's knocking, saying, open the door and let me in. And Dawes opens it, and Blake comes in, and obviously he's under under something, and he's enraged. And he is beating Alex yet again. And then Dean Sandow comes up, and he compels him to take the knife from him to stab Alex. And the only thing Alex can do because he's told her to be still and not to talk. Mm -hmm. So she can't move. She can't say anything. And she whistles. Yeah, she whistles. And she whistles and wrecks them, but saves them. Mm -hmm. And so then from that point in the story on is where it's just smooth sailing. It's no more jumping in time. You you just tell the whole story. And then there's all these plot twists and you're just, oh, yeah. I was anyway. That yeah, was me. Was I was just kind of like, oh, my God. I was writing plot twists and big letters in my book. But we're not going to tell you. You're going to have to read it and find out. <laughs> it is, I will tell you. I know you, that we've told you a lot of good stuff, it. but it, we have not told you everything. But I will say that as far as this book goes and the development of Alex as a character, she is been one of my favorite characters in a story in a long time. Even though I liked a lot of strong females, she has so many different aspects of her character that she has developed, and now she's like this really cool detective. <laughs> she's uh, a badass and, is what and, she and is. I, and I really enjoy her story so much and her character. I like the story, and I like the mythos around the mm-hmm. uh, the houses of Yale. I've heard those, so many of those mythos through the years, and even when I was in college, it was a, a well-known thing. So it was really interesting to see how she took those mythos and put magic in there and brought it alive and brought uh, some really cool pieces of the story about Yale's history and brought a very interesting way to show that maybe there was much more behind their power than we realized, that maybe magic is still in the world, even if it's used by the powerful and ugly ways, right? Yeah. You know, you always want more to the mystery mm-hmm. than what may be there. And it just brought it to that next level. And for people like us who love fantasy mm-hmm. and this kind of thing, it was right up our alley. Yeah. But you know, one of the things that, even though this was fantasy, that really hit home with me is that power. Power yeah. and the corruption and far reach of it. That people with power and money know that they are needed and that their purse strings are important and they can get away with so many things to the detriment of your everyday person with no regard for anything. It's it's really scary. And that is in this book. It's throughout this book. But it's also true. Right. And then the other thing was, especially looking at Blake, mm-hmm. you have all this ancient, mystical power, otherworldly magic, and you're prostituting it on a Jerry Springer level. They're not using these things for anything epic. Yeah. They're doing sophomoric fraternity crap. That's also, to me, a snapshot of today. They're There's no respect for the ancients. There's no respect for all of these rituals and things. They're just for cheap, stupid entertainment. And that was another thing that I don't know if that's what she was trying to come across, but it really did to me because... 
that was one of the things that was so off-putting is they were selling the magic for a profit on the side and letting people just use it in the most stupidest heinous ways possible right. to harm other people for entertainment mm -hmm. i i that really so you good on her for bringing that to attention as well i think there was a lot of um society's ills um reflected in this story that she had started writing and felt like maybe she said she thought that when she was especially when she was talking about victim blaming and me too movements and how she felt as a young girl growing up mirrored a lot of what i experienced and what we as from our generation experience as body shaming and image what how we saw ourselves is based primarily on how somebody else mm -hmm. saw us and particularly how men saw us and that was her experience long before this was happening but as she was writing it a lot was coming up in the news about that and so she said looking at the way society was at that time when she was writing it she realized she really hasn't even gone far enough because more people need to realize what their worth is as women and also how we look at power in society and how that reflects how we look at humans that we need to be more human towards all kinds of people but it was a just a very interesting take for me because her experiences reflected more of the generation our generation mm -hmm. but she but the experiences that she's writing to is more for this generation in some ways more young people and she writes for young adults anyway so she was really in tune to what the younger generation was feeling as well i wonder how much of that yale snobbery she actually experienced while she was there i wonder if she saw that kind of sure comes across in her writing yeah it really does that and even if she was a person of privilege from her upbringing she's a person who obviously sees people for who they are mm -hmm. and can and see beyond the veils of privilege and that yeah. kind of thing mm -hmm. i was telling you earlier that alex reminded me of lisbeth from the girl with the dragon tattoo oh right the books were really good to me i would rather read about it than, than have it in my face really that's so interesting of how people feel about violence stephen king i love stephen king uh -huh. i'll re i've read him from junior high on yes we called it junior high back in the day when it was cool <laughs> But from junior high on, I read Stephen King. But there are certain movies of his that I will not watch just because I have it in my mind. I don't need, I already, there are certain times a year that I don't look out my window because Tony Glick is going to be standing there staring at me with his red eyes. And I don't need you to remind me of that. I finally got over going by a ground grates. Ground I still can't do that. I finally got through that and my roommate from college sent me a picture of one. I was like, oh my God, here I go. And I live right right next yeah. to one. And when I walk by it, mm -hmm. I always say something because Pennywise is down there, red balloons. I don't know. And sometimes I can't even look at them. Yeah. Lawnmowers? Yes. Done for me. He has taken so many arbitrary household things and just given me pause for thought about them. So you'd rather read it than see it? I definitely would rather read it than see it. I don't care either way. I, now, I'm, now I'm there's, cool some, all there's some things like the book A Simple Favor. When the movie came out, I did a book club and the movie had come out mm -hmm. with Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. Right. So we talked about the book. We went to the movie. And the movie was better than the book. Mm -hmm. Look, I've gotten on to three different... Uh, oh, look, I've talked about all different books. I'm just on a... I guess we could talk about this book and all the things <laughs> it makes us think of all day long. But we figure you probably have something better to do. You could learn more about the 
Houses of the Veil. You can watch Shadow and Bone. I'm going to tell you yeah. all. I love it. And I would love for anybody to pick up this book. This is, it leaves you hanging. We got to do Hellbent. We do have to and do Hellbent. I was going to say that. And, that has to be another one that we do. Very Sorry. excited about Hellbent. Learn some about Paradise that. Lost. I Paradise love that. Paradise Lost, mm -hmm. yes. A couple of copies of Start that. Start your own secret society. I think we should do that. <laughs> I think we are. <laughs> We're very secretive. Uh, all right, my 25 people, raise your hand. <laughs> You're 25 people. That, that are in our secret society. <laughs> well, it's a secret that we don't even know about it yet. But yeah, we need, we need to do some kind of secret society. Like the Yaya Sisterhood. Oh, something um, like that. Okay. But with books and tea and alcohol and I don't know. Something You're funny. Come up with something. All right. Well, we will be back next week. Same tea time, same tea channel. That's right. All right. See you then. You can find us on Instagram at theperfectblend underscore SC, our Facebook page, The Perfect Blend, our website, the-perfect-blend.com, and of course, all of your usual podcast channels. Until, Until next time, time, read and sip on.